the average entrepreneur is 42 years old. It's been like that for a number of years. And it's someone who's had, you know, decades working in a in a business, um, manage, probably managerial experience, um, and um, they're quitting a corporate career. And, you know, that's something that is incredibly challenging because you've probably got kids, you've probably got a mortgage, um, but equally, you know the problem. You know the problem really well. You, you can see the opportunity, you understand the landscape that you're working in. Welcome to episode 10 of the Chief Medichicks podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Scriven. I'm the founder of Chief Medichicks, a business I launched in late 2022 after a long career as an executive in business, marketing and branding, and most recently as the CEO of Zenith Media. Chief Medichicks is a community and a movement designed to level the playing field for women in business, leadership and technology. Our mission is to unlock and unleash the power of women by upskilling them in Web3 and AI technologies through education and training and providing them with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive in the digital age. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a seasoned business owner, Chief Metachicks offers a wealth of resources and inspiration to help you develop and scale your business initiatives and leadership skills. And this podcast aims to bring inspiration and insight to our listeners as we delve into the stories and journeys of female founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders. We will share their highs and lows, trials and tribulations, key learnings, and pivotal moments. To get us underway, today I will be interviewing Kate Cornick. Kate is the Chief Executive Officer of Launch Vic, and she has a very interesting background from competitive sport through to studying engineering and launching her own app. And for the last seven years, she's been the CEO of LaunchVic. Kate has always had a mentality of giving it a go and throwing her hat in the ring. She talks about the opportunities that come with being one of only a few women in the room, and she shares her tips on how to survive and thrive. This interview covers a number of important topics, including having a risk appetite, betting on yourself and giving it a go, how to find the right support and programs to progress your startup, the importance of customer insights and product market fit for startups, and the ideal size of investment you should be seeking to give yourself the runway to demonstrate success. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode with Kate Cornick of LaunchVic. Hello and welcome to the Chief Metachicks podcast. And today I am joined by Kate Cornick, the CEO of LaunchVic. Kate, a big welcome to you. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. Brilliant. So you've had a really fascinating background and career journey from sport to studying and working in engineering to then working in academia to founding your own business and now the CEO of Launch Vic. Can you share a little bit about your career journey and how you came to be in your current role? Yeah, sure. So it's, it is a bit of a potted uh, mix. I I think like lots of people, when I, I did high school in the UK and in the UK, we do A-levels. We only did three. And I naturally gravitated to the sciences. But I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. I had a really deep passion for horse riding and animals. And so I did a lot of horse riding um, in my younger years. And so that naturally sort of led me to want to be a vet because you love animals and that's what you do. And then I pretty quickly discovered I did not want to do, I actually it was equine science, um, that I didn't want to to, to be that at all. I had no desire. And so I would really had absolutely no clue what I wanted to do. 
in between my mother emigrated to Australia um so I'd finished high school and had been bumming around for a year horse riding um waiting to do my degree and I I dropped out of that degree which was a pathway to vet science and ended up moving to Australia and it was a really random kind of argument between me and mum she was determined I was going to university I was pretty determined I was going to be a bum and uh, I ended up throwing the university guide on the floor and it fell open electrical engineering I thought well yeah I'll do that why not so I applied and got in and um and you know that set me on a pathway to engineering ironically my second choice I think was zoology and my third choice was history and philosophy of science and I thought oh god there's no way I'll ever do that Um, but I ended up getting into university and loving it so much I did a co-major in science and I ended up taking a history and philosophy of science um, subject and I absolutely loved it and ironically that's what I use day in, day out, critical thinking and arguments, how to formulate arguments. And that's the piece of my university degree that I probably use the most in my work today. But I did explore engineering and I went down the route of doing that. I decided to do a PhD of all things, um, mainly because I, I had two phenomenal potential supervisors who I really loved as lecturers as undergrads, Sarah Dodds and Peter Farrell. And they encouraged me to do a PhD and sort of dangled the opportunity to go to America and do some work over there. Amazing. And so I ended up doing a PhD with some work over there. That led me down telco. Tel- telco led me down broadband. Um, you know, I, I had a stint in government, I had a stint in corporate, I did quite a lot in the university environment and ultimately ended up doing my own mobile app in safe work. Um, had a very interesting and very steep learning curve there. And when I uh, left that company, which is a whole story in itself, I ended up going to um, being headhunted for the role at Launch Vic. And I got that role. And seven years later, here I am. Amazing. And what are some of the best lessons you've learned along the way in your career journey to date that's kind of set you up for this current role? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's, um, I think probably the biggest thing that I realised in retrospect that I had was quite a, a big risk appetite. And it was the ability to wax and wane to do different things and take things on that I had really very little understanding of. So I think about when I finished my PhD, my career path then was really set up to be an academic. It's, you know, it was what at that time PhD students, you were being, you know, groomed to become an academic. And so that was the path that I just had in my mind. And it was one day my brother-in-law showed me an advert in the paper and said, this guy's going to be the future minister for communications. You should apply for this role. And it was an advisor role to Senator Stephen Conroy. And I had absolutely no understanding of politics, no interest in politics, but I was really passionate about telco and I knew a lot about telco and I knew that Australia was pretty dismal at that time back in 2006 around telecommunications. So I ended up applying without having any real experience and putting my hat in the ring and that I got the job. I was gobsmacked that I got the job, but I I did throw my hat in the ring and I think I've done that quite a few times in my career and I think a lot of women... Um, you hear um, research pieces around women seeing a job advert and unless they tick every single box, they don't apply. Yeah. And I don't think I've I've done that. I think I have inadvertently, subconsciously just gone, what the hell? I'll give it a go. I'm, you know, I'm bored where I'm at and I'm yeah. ready for something new and just gone in and 
jump ship and completely change course. I think that it takes a certain amount of guts, as you know, to step out of a corporate role into a startup. And it's just that, okay, I'm here, I'm doing it. It's really terrifying, but actually terrifying is, you know, gives you a bit of energy. And so taking that risk and betting on yourself is something that I have always been able to do. And I think I get that from my grandmother in particular, because she she had a lot of risks thrown at her that she just had to rise to the occasion and nothing really ever faced her. I suspect it was terrifying like it is for me, but it never was um, debilitating such that you didn't do it. I doubted myself. I didn't necessarily believe I could do it, but hey, if someone else was prepared to believe in me, why couldn't I, you know, put my hat in the ring for yeah. I think a, a job that I didn't think I was ready for? I think um, it's a really interesting point because it depends on who's recruiting for the role and what they're looking for. And, um, you know, sometimes people really think outside the box, but oftentimes in roles, you know, there is, you know, our perception of I need to tick every box. But I think sometimes that's based on experience with recruitment where recruitment want to tick every box and they might throw in a red herring that's, you know, left of centre. But invariably there's kind of that, well, you've got to fit all of the elements. And I think we've sort of been a little bit institutionalized into into that mindset but actually we know that growth and innovation come from diversity of skills and experience so there's one thing I want to tap on a little bit or dig into a bit more you you know you set out in engineering and we know that engineering and technology as industries really have a bit of a gender <laughs> imbalance if you like and it's very difficult for sort of women to pave their way one of our leaders um you know, studied engineering and had a career in engineering, um, Mel Butcher. And in chatting to her, like an understanding, a little bit of, you know, pushing into that space and studying is the first step. But actually, when you start working in that space, um, she was sharing with me how um, you get pushed into gendered type roles, even in the engineering industry, where you're not necessarily doing the development and the building. You're doing the the middle um, person sort of liaising and communicating in between and, 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 and not really working in the engineering capacity. What was your experience would would it be similar or you know interesting to diving into that a little further yeah I think it was um I mean definitely I noticed the gender disparity when I went to university I mean I think that was the thing that shocked me the most I'd been in an all-girls school and yep I was one of the few girls doing physics and you know that was unusual then I went to engineering at Melbourne and I was like is there another woman in this room I can't see anyone at the moment turns out there were but there weren't very many of us um and I think you um, you know, you, you you learn to survive and thrive in that environment. And I got really comfortable being in tutorials where I was the only woman, which was complete opposite from when I first started university. I was really incredibly shy. I was, um, you know, didn't have that confidence. But I my confidence grew through my degree. And I think a large part of that was that I was the one that stood out. I was the only woman in the room. And so I think you you learn to live with it. And then my career path into working as a ministerial advisor was a very left of centre turn. It's not what a lot of people do. And there were a lot more women in that area, albeit that I was working in telco and was very often the only woman in, in, in a meeting. And, and that was um, pretty normal. Um, I then ended up going back into the university world, which I think they have been really forward thinking about women. And um, really, at the time, they were really working hard to get women lecturers and, and PhD students in. So 
again, I was one of a small number, but you got to be at the para, you know, you, you, you were noticed. I was the one that got called up to say, can you talk to students about being at university because you're a woman? And so I think that was a little different from the corporate world. I did have a year at NBN Co. Yeah. And I think I, um, you know, was again, um, I was actually working, interestingly, in the government relations team, which sat under communications, and there were more women in that workplace than I'd ever experienced in my previous life. But I was still the person with the technical experience in that team, because I had the PhD and the understanding, albeit that I wasn't that technical. Um, and then I went back into into the university world to work on mobile and I started getting more and more involved in women I remember feeling get, going to meetings thinking I feel really weird in this meeting what is it and I'm like oh there's, there's heaps of other women here <laughs> it's so it was just a really unusual environment so I think I was never put down I was always in a very fortunate position that because I was the only woman I sort of was able to use that as a differentiator in a way mm. rather than you know I wasn't an engineer that was working in large technical teams and I, I've certainly seen that happen I've seen that happen to friends of mine um, but I, I think you can you can use the fact that you are different to your advantage and I think you know going back to university the fact that I was the one that was always singled out to say could you please talk on orientation day can you please come and you know we've got this visitor can we you know shunt you up to the front to show that there are some women in this in this department um actually you know some women really don't like doing that but I I didn't enjoy it I didn't like being in the limelight but I did grab hold of the opportunity and managed to use that to leverage my my horizons and meet new people and push myself in ways that I probably wouldn't have been pushed if I hadn't have had those opportunities. So I think it is really hard for women in the workplace, but I think it's also about taking the opportunities that get put to you and recognising that, you know, sometimes we do have to be the token woman and that's okay. And there is opportunity that comes from that. Yeah, great. Love it. So um, thinking about the founder space and, and the work that you're doing with LaunchVic at the moment, talk to me around some of the trends um, that you're seeing, particularly with female founders, um, you know, seeking funding, developing, um, you know, startups and, and growing and scaling them. What's uh, What have you been seeing? What have you been experiencing? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen the most phenomenal change over the last seven years. And one of the things I am really proud about at LaunchVic is that we've set out to build the infrastructure that I wish I had when I was running my company, because they really, I felt incredibly isolated at that time, whereas now there's so much support. And so I think um, finding that support can be hard, but once you find the doors to open and you walk through it, there's such a wonderful community And I think the female founder community in particular is incredibly embracing. And we see that through our Alice Anderson Fund at LaunchVic, which is a fund specifically geared at supporting women. Um, And the portfolio companies support each other enormously. How how do female founders like open those doors like you know if I think about our listeners there's a lot of women building businesses seeking funding where can they go how do they open those doors where's the first point of call go to the LaunchVic website and have a look would be my advice because we support a whole array of programs and we recognize it's horses for courses there might be women out there who want to only go through courses with other like-minded women and we've got 
three or so programs specifically targeted at women. Um, Flying Fox is running a pre-accelerator, as is Jumpstart Studios as a springboard um, SBE Australia. So they're three groups specifically for women. But there's also every single one of our programs has gender targets. So they all have to have um, 50% women coming through their programs. So I I think it's about finding the right program that suits you and getting involved. And then once you get in a program, you you can expand your networks and connections. And we often see people migrating through different programs, perhaps starting in one area and then moving to another area. Um, but I think it, it is about just getting out there, getting to events. Um, if you are interested in events in the ecosystem, I'd certainly join LaunchVix mailing uh, list because we advertise events through that. But also we have got um, groups like the Startup Network, which um, are really active in the events community, One Roof, which is a phenomenal women's community that does a lot of events. So um, get out there and, and meet people, no matter how hard you find it. And I can really empathize with people. I, I really am um, probably more of an introvert than an extrovert. And I think for us introverts, you do have to shunt yourself out the door. It's not something you go, woohoo, let's go to an event tonight. I can't wait to get there. You're like, oh, it would be a bit more comfortable to be sitting on the sofa reading a book or watching a <laughs> watching a, a movie or doing your work. Um, but I think it is really important that you do get out and meet people and like-minded people and um, you'll find an incredibly supportive community out there. Brilliant. And so um, what I'm interested in what drives you and motivates you most about what you're currently doing in this role. Yeah, I think the thing that motivates me the most is making the changes that need to happen. And yeah. at a micro level, at an individual level, it's about getting the support that I wish I had. At a macro level, I think it's so important that we are building a vibrant tech community that's setting Australia up for the future. On the news at the moment, you're hearing about productivity being a major issue that's driving it or lack of is driving inflation. And we have a changing economy that's very services driven. And we need to be thinking about how we build an economy for the future, how we're going to create a more prosperous and wealthy Australia. And I mean wealthy, not just in the monetary sense, but in a work satisfaction, in creating products and services that are making meaningful impact on the planet. And I really genuinely believe the startup community is the forefront of that. And I, you know, you asked me before about what we're seeing in founders. I mean, one of the things I I love about this role is just the innovation you see and the ideas that people have are ingenious. And it's there's not a week go by where I don't meet a founder that I go, wow, you've got a really cool idea there. That is really fantastic. And and if you get that company off the ground, you're going to help contribute to a better climate, or you're going to help contribute to happier, healthier people, or you're going to help people find meaningful employment, whatever it is. So I think um, it is that for me, it's that macro that drives me. And, you know, I want to leave the world a better place. And I do genuinely believe technology companies are a really important part of our future. Brilliant. And so you're seven years in, what key changes have you seen from when you first took on the role seven years ago to what you're seeing now in this sort of founder and startup space and particularly in Victoria? The change is phenomenal. So when we started LaunchVic in 2016, seven years ago, there were only about a thousand startups. And in fact, when I started getting involved in startups in about 2013, 2012, 2013, 
I was seen as like a crazy one. It was like, what are you doing? Why? Why would you go? Why would you risk it all to go and do that little business when you have got this career that you could have? And I heard that from, you know, people that I really admire in my professional network. I heard it from my parents. I heard it from friends. Um, Whereas now, you know, there are 3,400 startups in Victoria as of this week, I think. And, um, you know, so we've more than you know the ecosystem's grown enormously and what's more the culture's changed and so you can hear people talking who doesn't know a founder and being a founder is actually something people go wow that's awesome good on you and it's you know you just look at LinkedIn how many people have got founder on their website now 10 years ago founder was like a what you put on your website if you were deemed to be unemployable so it's, it's it. like um you know it's been normalized and that's super exciting because it means that more and more people are stepping up um mm. and so I think that's really really important and we've seen the ecosystem flourish so it's not just the the startups it's the number of support groups that are out there and really super high quality support groups it's not some yeah you know, snake oil salesman that can, you know, come along and try and take your hard-earned cash and, you know, convince you to do something silly. They're people that genuinely know how to build businesses, genuinely care, have got great advice that's out there. There is an investor landscape and I'm sure we'll come to some of the challenges. There's a lot more work to do there, but the fact there is an investor landscape is great because a decade ago there was really a very limited investor landscape. And um, whereas now you, there's lots of options, people can grow a business in Melbourne, whereas previously, you know, seven years ago, the top entrepreneurs just had this mindset of, I need to get out of here as soon as possible, go to Silicon Valley, go to London, and that's where yeah. I'll grow my business. Um, whereas now we're in an environment where people can say, no, I'm going to grow a global business right here from Melbourne or, or Victoria and or the rest of Australia. And that's wonderful for our country. It means we haven't got a brain drain. So we have seen the most phenomenal change. Um, and in, in fact, you know, Melbourne um, has been classed as one of the fastest growing ecosystems in the world this year, which is really exciting for us. More from Kate in a minute. Recently, I had the pleasure of chatting with Michelle Schuberg, the Chief Executive Officer of Curious. We spoke about the importance of finding the right investment fit for your business, being passionate about what you do to ensure you can ride the highs and lows of the founder journey, having a well-researched and informed point of view and not flip-flopping each time you hear some expert advice, and not trying to flip houses until you have some experience and know what you're actually doing. Here's a little snippet from the episode. Finding someone who, you know, whose thesis aligns genuinely and you're not trying to shoehorn it into the business and you always ask, I think it's one of the first things you say, what is your investment thesis? And it'll either ring true or it won't. And as tempting as it might be, uh, if, if it's not right, it's not right. You can listen to that brilliant chat with Michelle by going to chiefmetachicks.com slash podcasts or subscribing to the show on your favourite podcast platform. Okay, let's get back to our amazing guest, Kate Cornick of LaunchVic. Where are you seeing the trends in terms of demographics? That's the thing that I'm really interested in because, you know, I have a 19-year-old uh, son and, you know, I talk to him and his friends regularly and there's not necessarily this appetite to do what generations before have done where it's, you know, go to uni, 
get a job, work up the corporate ladder, they're kind of going, not sure if that's for me, don't know that I want to work in a big corporate, um, I want to start my own business. So I'm seeing that trend just from my own experience, but I'm interested in seeing or understanding more broadly, you know, what are the demographics? Is it people just deciding to do something different? Is it people driving change? Is it youth? Is it across the board? Where are those stats? Yeah. It, so it's it's quite interesting. It's been relatively flat. So the average entrepreneur is 42 years old. It's right. been like that for a number of years. And it's someone who's had, you know, decades working in a in a business, um, manage, probably managerial experience. Yeah. Um, and um, they're quitting a corporate career. And, you know, that's something that is incredibly challenging because you've probably got kids, you've probably got a mortgage. Um, yep. But <laughs> equally, you know the problem. You know the problem really well. You, you can see the opportunity. You understand the landscape that you're working in. Yeah. Um, having said that, there's a couple of interesting things. We see women are more likely to start a company than a man over the age of 50. Interesting. So, uh, and I think that a bit of that goes to return to the workforce. So, uh, this is me just, um, there's, there's no, we haven't dug into the data here, but I think there's definitely w- returning mums, returning to, to, to close to full time work, mm. uh, are, are actually saying, hang on, I can do this myself. I've, I've, you know, I've got a passion or my, my directions change. I don't want to go back to where, where I was before I had children. So, I think there's something to do with, return to the workforce although that at the moment is anecdotal and more research is needed there we've also seen an increase a sort of very flat curve of people under the age of 30 so I think that is going to change over the next few years Mm. and I think we're going to see more entrepreneurs in their 20s because that is now being more normalized um, for people to come out of university and I think that's a really good thing but I also think it's really you know I encourage young people to go and get the experience so you you know you you are at an advantage if you're 42 years old and you've been working on a fintech issue for 10 years and you understand who the customers are and you understand the pain points of a business yeah you're much better set up to do it than if you are in your 20s having said that there are people like jack chang at air wallets who came out of uni yeah, and amazing. went off and grown a billion dollar company and you know th- there's definitely people who can do that but i think having that i don't like to say work experience it's just it's life experience. It's life experience, yeah. I agree. It's it's more than work experience. It's 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 just having those those insights that are going to help you on your journey. Yeah, love it. And so, you know, thinking of the founder space, what are the key things that founders need to be focused on to be successful? And what are the things they should focus less on? Yeah, great question. I think um, generally, I think founders, I see a lot of founders focusing on getting investment and they're not investment ready. So I think the first thing you've got to understand is your product. And so I think there needs to be more focus on have I got a business that is genuinely going to be profitable in the long term? And so I think getting customer insights, I see a lot of founders sort of skipping that, going, oh, yeah, no, I've got this gut feel. Actually, there's a real science to this. You need to go out and understand your customer. And if you you get one big customer talking to you, like Telstra, um, you want to go and see what Optus's views are or Singtel's views because – one customer is not going to define your product and so you want to be growing a big global business so you need to be talking to lots of different people 
And I think a lot of founders skip that. And as a result, they can often spend many, many months trying to find product market fit versus doing all that heavy lifting up front, speaking to your customer and really honing your product market fit. If you've got product market fit and you go to the investor community, you're going to find it so much easier to raise capital. So we get at LaunchVic a huge number of founders coming to us saying, I can't raise capital and the, the investor landscape is really tough. It is tough. It is it is really hard. And quite frankly, earning earning money and, and, and convincing an investor to put their money in you should be tough. There should be tests around it. Yeah. Um, but um, you equally, if you've done the legwork, it's a hell of a lot easier. So I think it's that customer facing piece. I think there's another piece that I'd pick up here, which is about women founders. And it's one of the Really interesting things about being in my role at Launch Vic is, you know, I'll go to an event and I'll get people coming up to me all the time wanting to talk, which I love, and, you know, hearing people's ideas. And in general, and I am being general here, but you'll get these men coming up to you going, you are going to be really lucky to listen to me for the next however long you're going to give me to tell you that I have got the best idea in the world. And um, women, sadly, and it's really shocked me, and I'm I'm being guilty of this. Will come up and go. I don't think you know. I'll go somewhere and think. I don't think that person wants to talk to me. Why would they want to talk to me? And then they come up and they're like, "I'm really sorry." That's how they open the conversation. Can I just ask you? I I think I've got an idea. And those two sentences, "I'm really sorry," and "I think," nine out of ten women will come up to me and say those in the first sentence to me, and I think. One, you don't need to be apologetic about talking to someone that you want to talk to. And two, you probably don't think you've got a good idea. If you're really honest, you know you've got an idea and you're still finding product market fit. That's not a reason to think something and play yourself down. And I just feel like I, you know, a woman comes up to me and I feel like sort of shaking her and go, you're not sorry and you don't think you know and they'll go away and come back again and 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 really be really positive and it is really hard and um you know I think that goes to there's a lot of evidence out there about the way women pitch and um, as a result you know they don't get, attract as much capital because perhaps they do come across as not as as gung-ho and yeah. not gung-ho is a good thing you want to be truthful but I think there's also something to be said about having the confidence about that. And it doesn't have to be an overt confidence. In fact, sometimes I find overt confidence on a man or a woman really off-putting, particularly yeah. when I'm thinking about investing or hiring someone. But that quiet confidence that you just, you've done the legwork and yep, you may not be 100% certain that you've got a model. No one is at early stage uh, time. But I think that's something that I really notice in my role, mm-hmm. the difference between w- women and men founders. Yeah. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to talk about it more and really encourage women to, 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 to have that confidence. And maybe it's just standing in front of the mirror and just saying it over and over again. Maybe it is, um, you know, going to a confident communication course. And it is really hard. I mean, I've been in my role at seven years at Launch Vic and we have done a phenomenal job. We have really grown the sector down here. But it's only in the last year I've had the confidence to say, we have truly kicked ass. We have done a great job and we have kicked goals. And there's all the data we point to and all the data we have shows that Launch Vic is having a massive impact. But, you know, it's it's taken me seven years to get to the point where I'm happy to stand up and say, yep, we've done a great job. Yeah, yeah. It's having that. Yeah, I think... 
I think for female founders and certainly the ones that we're dealing with, sometimes it's just the knowledge because it's like anything. The more you do something, the more comfortable you get with it. And I think it's the understanding of the ecosystem and how to set themselves up. And and that's what we're trying to, to do to support them. But also it's, you know, it, it's almost like profit's a dirty word. Like, you know, they, they go in with purpose and passion and we talk about this all the time. And we're like, well, how are you going to make money? Are you paying yourself? And it's like, oh, no, we want to get to that. It's like you need to be thinking about that up front and you don't need to be shy about it. You know, you've got to build your financial model. So a lot of the support services that we're putting around our founders at the moment and in helping them build and scale their businesses is, you know, the financial model, the opening the networks to um, new opportunities and also the legal structure of the business because to be attractive for investors you've got to have all those foundations in place and there's got to be a line for how you're going to build and grow and scale and and profit Um, but you've also got to have your legal structure in place and to your point if you're focusing on funding too early you dilute your equity too much and then you know you're really not ready for investment or or attractive for investment so you know there's some of the things that we're seeing um, you know that I'm sure is pretty common. Yeah absolutely. Mm, very much so. Yeah. Um, if you had a magic wand, what would you, where would you wave it to improve something in the ecosystem currently? Uh, number one is early stage access to capital. So notwithstanding the fact that we've been talking about founders doing the legwork, the reality is, is there is a lack of early stage capital and we've grown the ecosystem, you know, four times, but the amount of early stage capital is really pretty much flatlined over that period. So we do need to see more investment flow and we've got some programs uh, that are live right now to encourage to do that. We've really proudly backed nine angel networks, seven of them are brand new to Victoria, well, brand new to Australia. So, um, you know, there is a real um, need to continue to focus on unlocking early stage capital. It is a, it, it, it's not just a matter of sort of clicking your fingers and saying, well, get the super funds to invest because you've got to understand that this capital is extremely high risk. Yeah. Um, and the institutionals players are never really going to play big in the space. They're going to play at series B, series C, which for them is super high risk. Yeah. So your, your pre-seed, seed, series A investment really are talking about high net worths. And that comes down to education. Yeah. So just as you wouldn't give someone $100,000 to go and invest on the share market if they know nothing about it, you go to a stockbroker who's had a career in following the stock market, understanding where to invest, helping grow money. You actually have to get yourself educated on how to invest in startups. Otherwise, it just becomes a sort of gambling type model. And you can make a lot of money. There are a lot of very successful startup investors in the world. Um, but you have to know how to do it properly. And so I think there's a propensity for people to just think it's it's just like any other business and it's not. And number one rule, diversify. You are never going to be, and when someone walks up to me and says, I, I'm going to get a 10 out of 10 investment um, in my portfolio, you think there's no way you are or you're not taking high enough risks because there's no venture capital firm in the world that can guarantee a 10 out of 10 hit strike on their investments. They don't know who's going to win. You just got to make sure your successes are greater than your losses. That's the rule, you know, of of investing in venture. So we need more investors and more early stage investors. And that means investor education. It means angel networks. It means early stage VC funds. 
And I would love to see that number double and triple over the next few years. And when you talk about early stage investment, what's what's the ideal investment amount? Because, you know, like I'm seeing a lot in this space of, you know, small packages of 120K, but then, you know, you, you're pushing things back into services and non-executive director positions. So actually the capital that you've got to use to build and scale your business is pretty minimal. So what do you see as the optimal amount and what's the sort of structure that founders should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, every every deal is different. Um, but my view is that um, I think the best investment around is around, you know, somewhere between half a mil to a mil and ideally 750-ish, it's enough of a runway to enable you to do the best job you can. And yes, you might be giving up more equity, but if you've done the legwork up front and you've got your product market fit, you can go to the investors a little later, give up less equity um, and, and work hard and give yourself the runway to meet some goals. We see founders coming in with sort of these dribs and drabs, 100K, funding rounds and all it means is that the founders are just hopping between capital raising exercises rather than giving themselves the breathing space to actually demonstrate that they can seriously grow their company and it also to me is one of the most systemic issues in access to finance for women because um we know that women typically raise less than their male counterparts and that systemically sets them up for less success because if you're not raising as much funding in your first round when you go back to your you know if your first round is a genuine seed round a man raises 750 a woman raises 500 the woman's runway is is a third less than the man's yeah so when she goes to the venture capital company to get her series a her first institution she looks less progressed because she is yeah yeah so I think I really discourage founders to to do small rounds. I think it's really important that they aim big. Um, yep, you might give up more equity, but you're going to give yourself the runway to demonstrate success. Now, you know, that that is not going to be the case for every company. And of course, there's a company where 100K is the perfect amount and you don't need to raise too much. and You don't want to give up too, too much equity. Equally, there are companies where you need $5 million to do this. You know, it's just never going to get off the ground unless you've got a serious runway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's challenges around that. Yeah. Interesting. Great insight. Um, so uh, just taking a step back, if you could give your 18-year-old self some advice around your career and your journey, what would it be? It would be to be more confident from the get-go. Definitely, I think I um, I was very unconfident in my um, late teens and early 20s and was incredibly shy and I wish I'd had more confidence in myself. I, I'm not sure it would have actually, I don't wish for a different career or a different um, environment, but I probably would have had less doubt and less self-sabotage along the way if I had had that confidence. Brilliant. And what excites you most about your journey? Oh, I think it's just the opportunity to see change and be continually evolving. And I think, you know, my career has seen a lot of change and who knows where I'm going next, but um, I love to be able to see the impact that I'm having, whether it was running a startup, whether it's running a government agency. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the the ability to affect change is what excites me the most. Yeah, love it. And what advice do you have for women aspiring to entrepreneurship or starting their own business? What can they do early days to set themselves up for success in the future? 
Yeah, great question. And I'd say get out there and give it a go. If you've got an itch, scratch it because you will never know. And um, if you're worried and you're sitting there doubting yourself, every decent entrepreneur does that. That is a skill set that is really important because it means you've got introspection and reflection and that's going to make you stronger. So I'd say get out there, go to events, um, join a pre-accelerator program, work with groups like yourselves to get the network and connection. One thing I think a lot of people make the mistake of is sitting back and thinking, I've got an idea, therefore I won't tell anyone because I don't want to share it. Yeah. And actually you need to get out, test it, just keep talking to people, um, see what their responses are, learn from that response. Doesn't mean adopt what they say, but think about what it means. Um, and you know, just be really confident in moving forward and exploring what the opportunities are. And there's heaps of opportunities to help you programs, accelerators, events, groups like Cheap Meta Chicks. Um, I, I can't encourage you more strongly to get out and build a network of like-minded people who are just going to help you be bigger and better than you could be on your own. Love it. Such amazing advice. Well, thank you, Kate. It's been so lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, you've given us some great insights for our community. So, um, you know, really pleased to have you today and to share your journey and your insights with us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, there we have it, our 10th Chief Meta Chicks podcast episode. Key takeouts are focusing first on customer insights and product market fit before seeking funding, being confident and not being apologetic when pitching your business, aiming big with funding to give yourself the runway to meet some goals and demonstrate success. We'd also love you to rate the episode and podcast on iTunes or your favourite platform. It really does help with rankings and getting our messages and learnings out to as many people as possible. If you'd like to get your wings on too, then you can join at chiefmetachicks.com. And if you're interested in applying for our Pitch and Grow coaching program with our Chief Metachicks leaders, then please reach out at info at chiefmetachicks.com.